This morning, I want to continue on with my sermon series, Racing to the Flag. We've been discussing how in racing, whether it's Formula One or NASCAR, there are lots of flags that give waved in a race, and that each of these flags sends a message um, to the ones who are racing. It communicates important information. We have said that it is Christ who waves the flags for us. That as you and I run the race of life, Christ is trying to communicate very important information to us about the way that we run the race. We've already looked at the green flag. It's probably the flag you and I think about the most. When somebody waves that green flag to start the race, people have been going round the track. They're in a sense kind of coasting till the green flag is dropped and then it's full throttle. And people are off and they're racing. Last week we looked at the red flag. The red flag tells people you got to stop. Something has happened on the track. There is an accident. You must stop. There is danger. Today, I want to look at the yellow flag. For when the yellow flag is waved, it tells you caution. And probably more races are run with a yellow flag then they are the red flag. There's something important about caution. Slow down. Be careful. It was about 30 years ago. Marsh and I were in our early 30s and we had saved our money. It was back in the good old days when the dollar was so strong against the European currencies. You could travel over in Europe at a really great deal We worked hard to find some economical places to stay, and we traveled to the south of France. We started our trip in Saint-Tropez with a big celebration, went up the coast to the Cannes Film Festival, and from there we went to Monaco and we to Monte Carlo, and there we went to go watch the running of the Grand Prix. It was an incredible trip. We we had a a hotel where our window actually looked out on the racetrack. And i got to tell you, that race is very different from the Indy 500. The Indy 500 is pretty much an oval circle where people can reach high speeds, 220 miles an hour for most of the race. When you run the Monaco Grand Prix, it's different. You're running the streets of the town. And so you're always speeding up and slowing down. You're shifting faster, then you're turning, then you're braking. It is a very dangerous track and a very different kind of race. We were watching the race as they were winding up and turning around and going, and you're hearing everybody buzzing, and then suddenly it all kind of got a little more even. People weren't racing so fast, but they didn't stop. They kept on going, and what we didn't know was somebody had been waving the yellow flag. Because the yellow flag said there's debris on the track. We couldn't see it. But the yellow flag being waved, we knew it was important. People were slowing down. They were showing caution so that they didn't get into an accident. So it is with life. You and I can be racing full throttle. But sometimes you get the caution flag. It's telling you, slow down. Start looking. Be careful. You could get into an accident if you don't see the things that are the most important. 
That's what the scripture lesson was about this morning. When the scribe came to Jesus and said, what's the first and the most important commandment? That was a fair question. It's a fair question because in Jesus' day, the religious authorities had now created 616 laws that you were supposed to follow if you were going to be righteous. If you were going to be a good person, 616 laws. For our confirmands, for months now you've been studying. 616 laws. I hope you've learned them all. Actually, our youth director Amy told me we were not giving you all 616 this year, just 437. No, we didn't give you 437. But that's what had happened. People had so many laws they had to learn in order to know what to do if you're going to be righteous. You're going to do the right thing. And so it's fair to come to Jesus and say, goodness gracious, a lot. What's the most important one? And Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and mind, your soul and your strength. And the second is like unto it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now Jesus didn't make up the greatest commandment, those two things. He simply went back to the Torah, the Hebrew Scriptures. He went back to Deuteronomy 6, 4. You can go back and read it yourself. There it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then you can flip over in the Torah to Leviticus 19.18. And in Leviticus 19.18 it says, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus simply went back in the Hebrew Scripture. He took these two commandments and put them together and said, This is the greatest commandment. You want to know the most important thing? Do these two things. And the scribe said, You know, it is so easy to get lost in sacrifices and burnt offerings and all these other things. And sometimes we forget what really matters. Do you love God? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? As you and I run the race of life, it sure is easy to start looking at lots of other things and getting off track. And it becomes so easy to get into a, an accident. Sometimes you need to be running under caution, slowing down and remembering the things that matter the most. It's what I want us to think about this morning because Jesus tells us as you run the race, there's really two important things you need to be looking for. First of all, you will have an accident if you forget to stay close to God. As you and I go through life, things happen. Life isn't always easy. Life can be hard. And things happen with health and relationships and finances. Things happen in life. And it's easy to find yourself feeling overwhelmed, afraid, worried. Running the race is no longer a joy. We talked about the green flag. When the green flag comes down, you want to race full throttle with a sense of passion and joy and excellence in what God is calling you to do. You can lose that in a race if you begin to drift from God. 
confirmands. More than anything, what I want to say to you today is seek to love God. Seek to love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. I've been reading a book recently entitled Medicine, Marathons, and Miracles. It's by John and and Kathy Calthan. It's a fascinating book. It's actually about 10 years old now. And it's their life story. They were telling how 10 years ago they had gone through a very difficult period. They, They were in their early 40s, married. They were both healthy. They had two teenage sons and they were getting close to getting off to college and they were kind of excited about the idea of having that empty nest again. And then one day... John started, uh, Roger started feeling bad. And, and Roger went to the doctor and what he found was he had cancer in his kidney. They did several tests. They continued to look at it and they finally decided the only procedure to go forward was to remove his kidney with surgery and then follow-up treatments. He had his kidney removed and while they were doing the surgery, he started to hemorrhage. He almost died. Kathy was there. She was there every day. Obviously, his healing was going to take a little longer and be prolonged. But Kathy was every day there for Roger as he was fighting with this. But one morning as she was getting up and getting dressed, she felt a lump in her breast. She went to the doctor. They did a biopsy. And she had breast cancer. And not just one kind, two kinds. And one had already gone to her lymph node system She went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Do you know the odds of a couple in their 40s, both being diagnosed with cancer within six weeks of each other, but you have a greater chance of winning the lottery than this happening to you? But it happened, and now they both were in their fight. Surgeries, chemotherapy, You name it, they were doing it all. Whatever they had to do with medicine, the protocol, they were going to do it. They were in the fight. And the good news is, they both won. Ten years later, they are healthy, they are strong, they are running marathons. I want to read you what Kathy had to say about the experience. A diagnosis of cancer is not just a confrontation with your mortality, it's much more. It's the opportunity to make peace with your mortality and then use that peace to live every moment of the rest of your life with unlimited joy and passion. To use peace to live every moment of the rest of your life with unlimited joy and passion. To run full throttle. But how did she learn to do that with a sense of peace? When Kathy first started taking her chemotherapy, she had a horrible reaction to it, some sort of allergic reaction to it, to the kind of thing that when she had it, suddenly it started to cause great pain. And she took another one, and it caused even greater pain. And it got to the point that everything inside her was hurting, and then they realized her organs were starting to shut down. They were afraid she was dying. They put her into ICU. And she was in ICU and she woke up one morning and she was hurting so much and she could tell how much weaker she was growing. She knew she was dying. 
And in came a nurse. She introduced herself. She was Nurse Susan. And she asked Kathy how she was doing. And Kathy told her she felt she was dying. She had been praying that God would take care of Roger, that God would take care of her two sons. She was hurting so badly. She knew. But Susan started looking at all the the different vitals and looking at what was going on and sat down beside Kathy and said, you're not going to die. You're going to be okay. I know. You're going to be okay. You have so much more to do. She began visiting with Kathy and she was very comforting. Every now and then she would get up, she would look at all the vitals, she would look at what was going on. You're going to be okay. She sat with her for an hour and then two. Kathy began to wonder, thinking, I know there's lots of other patients up here. She can't just be staying with me. But, but Nurse Susan just wouldn't leave. She stayed with her, comforting. She wasn't alone. Finally, by the end of the day, she was starting to feel better. Nurse Susan still was sitting there with her. And finally, Kathy went to sleep. When she woke up the next morning, she felt so much better. The nurses came in and they saw how much better she was. They were stunned at how good she was. And they said, I think we can move you back to your room. And Kathy said, well, I don't want to go until I I give Nurse Susan thanks for the way she stayed with me. She, She comforted me and helped me so much. I'd like to see her, please. And they said, we don't have a Nurse Susan. Well, no, no, sure you do. I mean, she came and she sat with me all day yesterday. She told me I was going to be okay. I'd like to speak to Nurse Susan. We don't have a Nurse Susan. And Kathy said, I came to realize at that moment something about the mystery of God that you don't always understand but I believe that God came and spoke to me in a way that I needed, in the way that I could hear, that I wasn't alone, and I was going to be okay. Confirmands, you're at a wonderful place in your life. You're at a place in your life where you're going to be learning and growing. You're going to be taught so many things. What you're going to learn is about reality, that what's real is what you can touch. It's what you can measure. It's what you can see. That's reality. That's a fact. That's truth. It also goes by the name of science. And what I want you to understand is, as a Christian, you can say science is a good thing. We're never against science. What you can see and what you can touch, what you can measure, science is a good thing. We are never against science. But reality is more than just what you can see and touch and measure. There is more to reality. There is a spiritual dimension to life and it has mystery that you and I cannot understand on this side of heaven 
but our faith is, what we trust in, is that gift of God's grace that there is something more. And we don't always get to explain it, but we trust. You know, I, we've been trying to teach you to have faith. And if you remember, the word faith does not mean you know all 616 laws. That's not what faith is. Faith is not following the laws. Faith is trusting in God's constant love towards you, his child. In the midst of mystery, when you don't understand that there is a greater dimension to reality and you trust, you are not alone. You trust in God's love for you. Stay close to God. Try to love God with your whole heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. It will help you when you're running the race of life. And so secondly, know that you'll have an accident if you forget the importance of your relationships. Jesus said, love your neighbors, you love yourself. You know, the strange thing about human beings, and especially when we're young and growing up, we all struggle with self-esteem. We all struggle with our self-esteem. Am I good enough? Am I accepted? Am I pretty enough? Am I handsome enough? Am I successful enough? We all struggle with our self-esteem and feeling insecure. And so you know how we react to that? We start trying to prove how good we are. And we prove how good we are by comparing ourselves with others and being in competition. I have more than you. I have a nicer house, a nicer car, bigger bank account. No, I, we become in competition to prove we're okay. And if you're not careful when you're doing that in life, trying to prove you're okay, you start hurting all the people around you because you forget what's important. And if you become very successful in life and you have wrecked your relationships, it will be hollow. It will be empty. Something is missing. Don't forget the importance of your relationships, taking care of the people you love, family, friends, the stranger. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's important to be paying attention to. As I started working on this sermon series, I, I told you how I was going back to look at A.J. Foyt, the great racer from down in Houston, Texas. He was winning the Indy 500 when I was a kid. And then I started trying to look at Bobby and Al Unser. And then, of course, I studied Mario Andretti. Oh, my goodness gracious. Mario Andretti. What a racer. And what a fascinating story. Mario Andretti was born in Italy back in 1940. And he was, grew up in Italy. And as he was growing up, he, he and his brother just had a love for cars. When they were 10 and 11 years old, they got a job valet parking cars. Now, can you imagine throwing your keys to a 10-year-old to go valet park your car? Well, that's what people were doing to Mario and to his brother. They'd pull up, they'd toss them their keys, and Mario said, we waited till they got out of sight, and then we tried to peel out in the cars. We wanted to see who could go the fastest, who could get around the corner. I mean, we put these cars through their paces. And he said, it sure seemed fun at 10 and 11, but now when I go somewhere and I valet park, 
He said, I'm always wondering what they do when I toss them my keys. They got to go watch the Italian Grand Prix when he was just a, a boy, and he and his brother just got hooked. But, of course, there was World War II, and Italy, where they lived, was being divided up and was going to be taken by Yugoslavia. It was going to be ruled by a communist dictator, Tito, and his family decided they didn't want to live under communism, and so they fled. They took only the shirts and clothes on their back. They became refugees. Refugees for several years as they were trying to get out of Europe. It took them three years before they finally got to come to the United States. And there they settled in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. It was 1955. Nazareth, Pennsylvania, they had $125 to their name. But as mother and father worked hard, they wanted this opportunity living here in the United States. They'd been there only a couple of days when Mario and his brother saw this glow up on a hill and they heard this noise. And they went up on the hill and they discovered here was a half mile dirt track where people were racing these modified stock cars, these midget cars, and it's right there in their backyard. And he said they wanted to race. But of course you had to have a race car. He said that was the only problem. So the first one, he said, you know, you can get one if you can buy one. But they had no money. He said, the second way to get a race car is steal one. But he said, that was against our values and our morals. The third way you could get a race car, well, I guess you could build one. And so they saved their money and started buying all these junk parts and old broken cars and putting them together. And they built this modified stock car, this race car, and they started to race. First race his brother was in, he won. First race that Mario was in, he won. All summer they raced and never told their parents. It wasn't until the end of the summer that his brother was in a serious accident and really hurt and had to go to the hospital that his parents found out that they were racing. But by now they were hooked. They wanted to become naturalized citizens, which they would become. Mario, though, was still struggling with English. It was in 1961. He was 21 years old. So his parents hired a, an English tutor to try to help him. Her name was Deanne. She came and taught him English. And he was then able to ask her, will you marry me? And so he married Deanne in November of 1961. And they would have a family together as Mario continued to race. What incredible success. I mean, he's won the Indy 500. He's won the Daytona 500. He's won and been the um, driver of the year in three different decades. He's raced Formula One. He's raced NASCAR. He's raced these modified stock cars. Through his career, he has won 191 races in major circuit racing of all kinds. Maybe truly the greatest racer America has ever produced. I saw a fascinating interview with him, and they were at his home. It's still here in Pennsylvania, and he came into this trophy room. And I mean, there are so many trophies and awards that he has received. He has accomplished so much. And he came into the room just with the interviewer, and they sat down, and the interviewer asked him all kinds of questions, but there were four that jumped out at me. One question he asked was, if you, and I encourage you to, 
Go home and ask yourself these questions today. First question they asked was, if you could spend one day with anybody here on earth, who would it be? Without hesitating, he said, the Pope. Another question. If you could be the artist who would be given credit for creating any piece of art in the world, which piece of art would you want to have created? And again, he said, La Piete, Michelangelo's sculpture of Mary holding her son, Jesus, after he had been crucified. They said, what's your favorite memory? I thought, boy, this is going to be interesting. Is it winning the Indy 500? Is it winning Daytona? He said, my favorite memory was when I was a child in Italy. After church, we would all go to my grandparents' house. All the aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody in the family. And there was a big meal. And every Sunday afternoon, we were all together at my grandparents'. It's my favorite memory. I said, what are you proud of the most? Again, I'm looking at this room with all these awards. What are you proud of the most? And he said, I'm proud I've always had a head that fits on my shoulders. I'm proud of the way I took care of my parents. I'm proud that I've been married to my wife for 55 years. And then he talked about his children and his grandchildren Friends, as I watched this interview, it became clear to me in the midst of all the success, he had never forgotten about relationships. It's what made all the success meaningful and worthwhile. As I looked at Mario Andretti's life, it was obvious that he had not forgotten What does it mean to love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? As we're running the race of life, sometimes you're running full throttle, but sometimes you get the yellow flag that tells you to slow down and be careful. Make sure you're still focused on the things that matter because if you focus on the things that matter you'll avoid the debris on the track and you'll see it's wide open racing ahead it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen let each of us lift up our own silent prayer